some of the boys are pushing the girl out of the way. That's not scary. Yeah, hold on just a second. Spider-Man's on the bottom. Okay, guys, uh, while the kids are uh, fighting each other, um, yeah, over that. Um, <laughs> uh, be and before we get into where we're going to read today, we're going to read several places together. The kids will be in here. It'll be fine. We're gonna read. We're gonna read a lot today, and I'm gonna try to talk not a lot. So there's that. Uh, but before we do that, um, so uh, Liliana has like something going on in her in her uh, body here this morning, and so they took her home. So we're gonna let's pray for her again. Let's pray. Um, Father, we're grateful that you have been so incredibly patient and loving toward us, and I. Lord, we, we love Liliana, we love her family, we ask that you would be near, that you would heal her body, Lord. Whatever it is that's troubling her, whatever it is that's going on, we ask that you would uh, remove it, that you deal with it, Lord. Uh, we know that you're able because there's nothing that's hard for you. So this morning we, we pray together and we ask for our friends that you would touch her and that you would heal her. Because we love her, Father. Please have your way in her body and in her life and in her family. Lord, we love them so much. Would you please, please, Lord, please heal her, we pray. We ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Thank you for praying with me for, uh, for Liliana this morning. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and, uh, and read this morning. We're going to be in um, several places, three main places, and I do have them. Hopefully, we'll have them up on the screen here as well if we can, but we're going to do a lot of reading. And like I said, hopefully I'm going to do not a lot of talking other than the text. So that's my hope. You know how that goes sometimes, though, right? <laughs> so, um, right, so Easter, um, I, I don't always do a separate type of thing. We're not going to continue where we've been reading in Mark 14. We'll pick that up next week. And uh, I don't always do this, but uh, I just felt uh, compelled to do it this morning. And the thing I want to focus on is sort of the, some of the aftermath or some of the results, some of the way that the early church viewed the resurrection and what it meant. Okay, so those are really the sort of the places we want to focus um, our attention this morning is, uh, is, is on what the early church thought of the resurrection and, of course, then how they applied that to what they were doing in their lives. Um, they lived in a very different time than we live. Uh, in fact, I would suggest much harder times than the times in which we live. Um, those early Christians did. So uh, I think we could learn a lot from them. Um, I want to read to you. So this is the first thing we're going to read is in Acts. It's really Acts chapter 2. Uh, we probably will just read the whole chapter because I'm not smart enough to cut it into pieces any further than already is, I guess. So, uh, this is at Pentecost. Pentecost happens about 50 days after uh, Passover. Okay, that's why it's Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. So um, this is. Um, Jesus had appeared to the disciples and others over a short time period, and then he ascended, and then um, the disciples now are waiting, because Jesus said, the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, and then you'll be my disciples, right? So um, they're waiting, and uh, so then Acts chapter 2 picks up, and this is the first sort of public message or sermon the apostle Peter uh, teaches. Remember Literally, this is 50 days after Passover. So this is 50 days after Peter had denied Jesus, that he even knew Jesus three times, right? That one night, right? The night he was, that Jesus was betrayed. So like, this is that same Peter 50 days later, right? So less than two months later. 
this is what Peter says. Uh, in Acts 2, verse 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all gathered together with one mind, thinking about one thing. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're not going to go in-depth into a lot of what's happening here, but I just want you to, to be listening, to be paying attention, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about specific things as we go on. So, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem. There were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes or converts, those who've converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. <clears throat> Excuse me, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here's Peter's commentary on that quote that he just gives us from the book of Joel. Here's what Peter has to say about it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him... Being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades or in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, 
Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Messiah to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, that his soul was not left in the grave or in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not descend or ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Now, stop right there for a second. One of the primary focuses of the Apostle Peter's first message here is itself the resurrection of Jesus the veracity or the truth of that resurrection, that they were witnesses of the resurrection. And then, of course, what that meant. It meant the remission of sins. So that you could be saved from this perverse generation, right? This is the primary focus, not only of this message, but of all of the gospel messages throughout the New Testament. This is the focus. This is the center of it. Because if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then he is exactly who he said he is. And this changes everything. Everything about our lives. Everything about what it means to be alive now and then to die. Because of all the battles humanity seems to be fighting, the one everyone loses is the battle against death. But Jesus has overcome. Jesus has conquered even that. Yes, while we obviously continue the work that He has begun, we do pray that God's kingdom be here and be seen here in us and through us on earth just as it is in the heavens. We recognize the fulfillment of that is in, is in the coming of the King. And so we persuade men as much as possible. We persuade anyone who will listen. Jesus has been crucified for sin. He was buried and He is alive from the dead, ready to rescue anyone who will trust Him. Anyone who will, who will ask Him to forgive them and, and receive, receive them. Sometimes we say that we should receive Jesus, and I think that's kind of silly. <laughs> we should pray that He would receive us, <laughs> really. Because God has made, I love Peter's words, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He has made Him both Lord and Messiah. And the people were cut to the heart. Their only response is, what do we do, man and brethren? What do we do? The response, change your mind. 
Repent. Repent and believe this great news that God has made a Savior. This is the result of what happened by these people doing that very thing, by them receiving this gospel and being born from above, as Jesus said in John 3. Um, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. The implication might be that not everyone gladly received his word. And of course we do find that later. Not everyone gladly received the words of Peter. But those who did, this is what happened. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's the apostles' teaching and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This wonderful, lovely community where... They said, these people are more valuable than our possessions. And so everybody was willing to just sell whatever they needed to, to make sure everybody was taken care of. It's fabulous, man. It's wonderful. This community. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those, those who were being saved. This incredible, uh, this incredible event, or, or maybe sequence of events that occurs. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of that promise, and Peter, Peter announcing this great news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and that God would receive, God would, God would, um, would wash their sins away, and they could be received into this community of those who trusted him. And the result of that, that they really loved each other, that they cared for each other, that they helped to take care of each other because they valued each other more than the things that they owned. And this settling last phrase, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Sometimes, it seems like we really complicate what it means to follow Jesus because we make it about all sorts of crazy plans and programs and we've got to make this thing happen and we've got to do this big thing. They were just glad. They were just glad to be together and to help take care of each other in a world full of division and anguish and anger and separation and destruction How sweet it is. How sweet this vision is. God, we pray that you do it. That you continue to do that work in us. Look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we move through uh, to the next um, passage. This one's long, so... The other one was long. Fine. They're all long. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says this. This is Paul uh, first defining what the gospel message is that he had brought to, to others. What is the good news that Paul brings by which we are saved? He defines that for us very succinctly, very clearly here in 1 Corinthians 15. And then he goes on, because that gospel message is rooted in the resurrection, he goes on then to talk about the implications of 
the resurrection itself and what would be true if, of course, Jesus' resurrection was a lie and then uh, the reality that it is not and what that therefore means. So these are things I want for us to, um, to read together and to, for you to be aware of and think about as the Lord works them into your heart and into mine. So, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. He's saying, here's the message I preached. Here's the good news that I preached to you, um, uh, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved by this good news. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed for nothing or believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, which, by the way, that's the same phrase he uses when he begins to do the communion thing in 1 Corinthians 11. That's the same phrase. I delivered to you that which I also first received. Talking about this being uh, something that was common amongst the early church, common amongst the believers. So here's the message, the gospel message. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that the Messiah died for our sins according to the writings, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the writings, according to the scriptures. And he's going to add that he was seen by other people. But really, those three things, that's the gospel message that he preached. He died for our sins. The Messiah of Israel died for our sins. He was buried. and He was resurrected. He was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures, according to the, to the writings, the prophets. And he continues in verse 5, that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, um, and, and we can talk more about that another time, but Cephas uh, is his uh, Aramaic name. Um, that was Peter. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism Paul uses to talk about a believer who dies. He says that they have fallen asleep. It's something he uses repeatedly, and he'll use it several times in this chapter. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Paul the apostle himself had seen the risen Jesus. Of course, we have some of that recorded for us in the book of Acts. Okay, so now, if... Um, sorry, continuing... Paul says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if the Messiah is preached that He has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then the Messiah isn't risen. And if the Messiah is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up the Messiah whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then the Messiah is not risen. And if the Messiah is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in the Messiah have perished. If in this life only we have hope in the Messiah, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now the Messiah is risen from the dead. 
and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in the Messiah all shall be made alive. For each one in his own order. The Messiah, the first fruits, afterward those who are the Messiahs at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in the Messiah Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and don't sin, for some don't have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow, what you plant in the ground is not made alive unless it dies. And what you plant or what you sow, you do not sow that body which that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. These are also, there, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown or planted in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is, it is sown or planted in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. <clears throat> and those who are heavenly, <clears throat> sorry, and as is the heavenly man, so also are, the, are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This incredible summary of resurrection that Paul gives is is really, in in many ways, overwhelming and something that deserves great, great study, right? But for this morning, the main thing I wanted to focus on was how the resurrection informs Paul's application. Because this is true, Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't lose hope, because there is resurrection from the dead. He continues this theme or this idea in his second letter to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as the down payment or as the guarantee. So, we are always confident. So, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of the Messiah, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, (laughs) we persuade men, but we are well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of the Messiah compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the body, according to their body. Even though we have known the Messiah according to the body, according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in the Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus the Messiah and has given us the ministry, the service of reconciliation. That is, that God was in the Messiah reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for the Messiah. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on the Messiah's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Paul's application of this reality of the resurrection was that we would all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and therefore we ought to take heed with what we do with our lives and the time that we have. Recognizing that if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whatever we do, we are the Lord's. This reality, the reality that Jesus is alive now, having been raised from the dead, That He gives His Spirit to everyone who trusts Him. And that He gives us a new life so that we become, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation. Therefore, when we look at the people around us, Paul says, we no longer look at them according to their body. We don't judge people the way the world does. Because we, we, we can't even see the Messiah that way any longer. Paul says at one time, we did see the Messiah in the body, but no longer. Because everyone who's in Him is a new creation, He says. This ministry that He's therefore given to us is a ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. That is the message of the church. Be reconciled to God. Because we live in a world turned away from Him. And God has loved us patiently, steadfastly, when we have loved so many other things. And He sent His Son to die for our sins. And He has been raised from the dead who gives life to everyone who lays their trust in Him. Life that doesn't end. Life that brings us into a a relationship with the living God. This reconciliation not simply with each other though that obviously would be true we can be reconciled to each other because we've been reconciled to God but the primary focus is that we need to be reconciled to God and not you only but your friends your family my neighbors because of all the enemies facing our world, the last of which is death. And Jesus has overcome. Jesus has won. And it's from that place, it's from having overcome the final enemy that we find ourselves able to navigate whatever it is that happens. So what if somebody kills me? He raises the dead. He raises the dead. 
Therefore, be reconciled to God because He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What's the main thing that we're saying? God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In the end, all the things that seem to be the focus of so much of the world system around us seem to have very little to do with Jesus raising the dead. And I can't help but say, Lord, Lord, would you help me Think about these things the way that you do. Would you help me to love people so much more than I love my things? Would you help me to lay my life down, to die daily, as Paul said? Because if Jesus raises the dead, it's fine to die every day. Because he raises the dead. This is how we navigate our marriages by dying to ourselves. This is how we navigate our jobs, by dying to ourselves. This is, how, this is how we navigate ministry. This is how we navigate the Christian community, by dying to ourselves and being the servant of all. Because this is what our master is. And when we're ready to lose heart because nobody recognizes or nobody sees or people don't respond the way that you want, don't lose heart because He sees. He, He sees. And He rewards. He is the God who sees what no one sees. And He responds openly. He hears the prayers that no one else hears. And He responds openly. The biggest struggle that I have is that I just don't believe Him sometimes. God, help me to trust Him more. That's what I want to do. Because He's alive. Let's pray, you guys. Father, we're so grateful for your patient, steadfast, enduring love. Lord, would you take your word and would you work it, weave it so deeply into the fibers of our spirit and our soul that we can't help but be filled with joy at the revelation of Jesus. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us even more, we pray. Would you work through our lives and set us aright in our priorities, Lord. Help us not to be captivated and captured by the call of the world that really has nothing to do with the great news of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. Lord, we would walk in your way because in one way or another, every other way leads to death. Father, please, please, please have your way with us, we pray. Thank you for being so, so, so patient with us. Lord, we want our children to trust you. We want our friends to know you. Lord, we have family that we love so dearly and we want them to know you, Father. Lord, would you please, please do the things that you want to with our lives. I pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey guys, truly the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. You guys. I love you. Look at that. A miracle <laughs> happened. <laughs>